0: The book of Acts picks up right where the four Gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. All right, happy church. It's that time again to open up the Word of God. We'll get settled in our seats back there, Pastor Adam. And uh, turn back to where we left off in Acts chapter 6. Let's go to the Lord for a word of prayer. Father God, we, we need your help. Lord, these are truths that are spiritually discerned in that we need the Spirit to help us. These words don't come from any man, but from heaven, from God himself, from you, Lord. You sent the God-breathed word to save us. You ordained our footsteps. Nobody is here by chance, but by the hand of God. To hear these words, to understand them, to comfort us, to correct us according to your great wisdom. We dedicate ourselves to doing your will. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I came across an interesting article online. I found it somewhat entertaining. It's called, How to Let Go of Anger After Losing an Argument. (laughs) (laughs) 19 Strategies. I'm only going to give you the top four. (laughs) Number one, get in touch with your emotions and try to figure out where all that anger is coming from. (laughs) I have written down here, answer, one word, five letters, begins with a P, and rhymes with slide. Oh, (laughs) you too, I see. Two. Practice relaxation techniques like mindfulness. Try centering yourself. Three, take a brief time out. Maybe count one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. Four, get daily exercise. Now, I thought, oh, no. Uh, Next, we're going to read, cut out all dairy, and drink more water, because proper hydration is really the answer to every problem in life. (laughs) Amen? Well, okay, Uh, joking aside... Uh, not too terribly surprising that the Bible's advice to humble yourself, turn from your sin, and extend grace to those with whom you disagree and are frustrated with, it didn't make the list of 19 strategies at all. And so here, the early days of the church, the beginning chapters of the book of Acts, as you can imagine, Jerusalem is a hotbed, really, of dialogue and debate where there are arguments all the time, winners and losers there. In Jerusalem, the birthplace of the Christian church, Christianity comes onto the scene, 100% Jewish people, 100% Jewish traditions, 100% Jewish religion, and suddenly there are thousands of Christians who are Jews. And thousands more remain steadfast in unbelief, rejecting Christ, which is the Greek way of saying the Jewish Hebrew Messiah. Christ is Messiah or chosen one, Savior. They're holding out thousands more uh, for a Messiah that meets their own expectations. We don't want one that gets crucified. We were waiting for one that uh, delivers us from our Roman Oppressors—they're uh, occupying uh, Israel—and so here, uh, once a unified group in Jerusalem, all Jewish people. Now there are Jewish Christians and Jews who remain Jews without Jesus, and so—and uh, yet the gospel is advancing. And through all that debating, so wherever you went, whether it was your home or the fields or um, any, the synagogue, the marketplace, there were conversational clashes everywhere. And the thing about it is is that the opposition was losing. The gospel was spreading like a good wildfire and trying to stop it brought a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, and they were not handling it well at all. Instead of considering mindfulness they resorted to murder. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, a deacon recently appointed, honored one of the seven deacons to handle the food ministry to the needy widows, full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as the synagogue was called, comprising Jews from Cyrene, that's Libya, modern day, and Alexandria as Egypt, of course. So Jews from North Africa emigrated to Jerusalem, as well as uh, Jews who were living in modern-day Turkey, Cilicia and Asia, the Bible calls uh, modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. So Jews from those lands, who were born in those lands, who spoke Greek, uh, had their own little synagogue where they all spoke Greek, and they were all holding green cards. They were not true citizens, as it were, natural-born. And so they had their own little deal. And uh, these men began to argue with Stephen, who also has a green card, who also speaks Greek, who probably goes to their synagogue. They're friends, or they were friends until Jesus came into Stephen's life. But they couldn't stand up against his new Christian faith because of his wisdom and the spirit by whom he spoke. Verse 11 Then they secretly, the losing team, persuaded some men to say, hey, we've heard Stephen speak words of insult or uh, disparaging or denigrating uh, Moses and against God. And you'll notice Moses comes before God in Jewish thinking because Moses is more important. Um, So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law... They seize Stephen and bring him before the Sanhedrin. Here we go again. It's the high court that tried Jesus and the apostles and now the first deacon. Verse 13, they produce false witnesses. Uh, this should be sounding familiar to us. <laughs> who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the Old Testament Bible. They called it the law, and it really was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, technically. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change all the customs Moses handed down to us Jews. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin (laughs) looked intently to see Stephen's response to being charged with a capital crime. How's this guy handling this? And when they turned to look at him, they see that his face was like the face of an angel. But did that stop him? No, let's proceed. I don't know about you. I might have thought, hey, guys, maybe we got the wrong dude, you know? You know? Spilling over into chapter 7, Then the high priest asked him, are these things true? Are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers listen to me. And then comes the longest sermon in the book of Acts and almost in the entire Bible. So he is going to preach a sermon that I've entitled and summed up with this title, Our Long History. God has been good to us. God has been faithful and we have been unfaithful. That's what he's going to say, look how good, God is good, God is good, God is good, look at us. We betrayed him, we resist, we do evil things, and he's good to us, and we're bad to him. That's his sermon. When he's finished with the sermon, verse 54, they heard this sermon they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Whoa, that's saying a lot, 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit again. How many times are you going to tell us he was full of grace, he's full of wisdom, he's full of spirit? He looks up to heaven and sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That is a phrase that means in the fullness of God himself. The authority of heaven and God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a title from Daniel chapter 7 that all those Jewish men know. And the Son of Man is linked to the second coming. Daniel saw a vision of the second coming and saw Jesus and called him the Son of Man. We said, I see the Son of Man, the Messiah, standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears like little babies and started yelling at the top of their lungs. They all rush at him. They drag him out of the city like they did Jesus carried his cross outside the gate and began to stone him to death. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at, a, at the feet of a young man named Saul because Saul holds a green card because he's from Cilicia. He goes to that synagogue. He's a part of the whole thing. And he's a Pharisee sitting on the Sanhedrin at the assembly. So while they're stoning him, Stephen prays, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. So gracious of God. And Saul was there giving two enthusiastic thumbs up. Saul, the Pharisee, had clout on that board, on that high court, and that's in there to tell you how devout Saul was to persecuting the Christian church, that he would give two thumbs up to a guy uh, to die like Stephen. And so there we go. We're going to make our way through this um, really bittersweet uh, passage. Bitter in that we see this rage and hostility uh, and murder of this good man. Sweet, because we see that it's win-win for us. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And Jesus said, don't be so afraid of men. What can they do? They kill your body. Then what? They can't touch the eternal you, you're in my hands then. And so you'll recall that, as I already mentioned, Stephen is a younger man. He's newly appointed. He's like, choose me, choose me. I'll help with the older women, the needy widows. I'll work back on that. I'll I'll serve the tables. And so, as I said, pastors and deacons, their ministerial roles... Their boundaries are not hard and fast at all. They spill over, and pastors always do practical deacon work, and deacons, if they're gifted accordingly, they do some really spiritually wonderful things like preaching and teaching and their great evangelists. So this gifting and passion of this young deacon uh, moves them beyond the confines of the food pantry and into the courtyard of public debate but no one's able to stand up to his wisdom, and that's going to get him praise from God and hostility from men. So our passage divides quite nicely into three talking points. Uh, First, uh, going up on the screen right now, the heated debate, the first couple verses, which leads to a sinister response, and then we'll finish up with the first martyr of the Christian church. So the heated debate here your verses tell you in verse 9 opposition arose it has to always if you're a Christian and you're you're trying to do God's will opposition must arise or you're not doing your job sooner or later if you're trying to live a godly life you are promised and I'm quoting a scripture all who wish to live a godly life will suffer persecution because you're planted in a world that's hostile to the absolute truth of the gospel and so that is just what has to happen and I guess it would be mismanners um, if you remember that advice columnist and those who advise social etiquette who would say it's not polite to talk about religion or politics in social settings. You might upset somebody, tempers can flare, you're going to make everybody feel uncomfortable. Uh, Yeah, you're going to make people feel uncomfortable enough to burn your church down, arrest your pastor and put you to death. But we do it anyway. Why? Because like our Lord, we love people who are lost. And we have to tell them the truth because it's the only way they can get saved and escape going to hell and perishing forever. And if that means we've got to incur a little of their wrath or take some of their abuse, we don't care. What's more important? My eternal life is secure. you If you kill me, I'm good. You're the problem. We can't kill you because you're not ready for that to happen because that would be uh, terrible. So yeah, he could leave off, Stephen could leave off the politics because he knows, guess what, to have the wrong political views doesn't damn your soul. But when eternity is on the line, life and death, then all bets are off and we'll gladly uh, risk setting people off taking a little heat or a lot of heat, losing friendships or whatever it has to be because the truth is the truth and what's more important is that nobody go to hell. That's what's important here. Oh, my word. Ten seconds in the place that Jesus describes, ten seconds would be too much. But there's no escape. There's no end. It's on and on and on and on and on, and on, and on, and on, and that's why, go ahead, arrest me, go ahead, shoot us, burn the church down, we're going to love you anyway, we're going to pray for your soul, because we got it made, and you're in harm's way, and because we love you, We're going to take a chance. And of course, so Stephen is taking a chance with his own people. What's the first thing you want to do when you find out, oh my word, there's a heaven, there's a hell. And I just escaped through the flames and I'm going to heaven now. What's the first thing you want to do? You want to go tell your nearest and dearest. He's got Greek-speaking green card holders who are Jews, like him, part of his brotherhood that that he starts to evangelize, and they say, look, Steve, then, why don't we arrange a little public debate? And so somehow the evangelism has uh, stirred them up, and they want to go at it, you know? And so God wants you to know something here, that Stephen didn't start the argument. It became an argument. Verse 9, do you see? They threw the first punch. They... Began to argue. That's what it says. Because the Lord's servant, we're not argumentative. We're not quarrelsome. We're kind. We're gracious. We don't lose our tempers. We're not supposed to, anyway. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so uh, it's debate time. And Stephen is described first by. Uh, telling us about his character. Again, we already heard that he's got a sterling reputation. He's full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We already know that. And then on top of that, he tells us that he's full of grace, God's grace, and God's power. Wow. Why are you telling us all of that? It's to juxtapose, to contrast this beautiful man of God, this hero of heroes. Nobody's described. In ways that Stephen has described in the entire Bible, nobody except Jesus. Nobody gets five <laughs> accolades full of the Holy Spirit, a spotless, unblemished character and reputation, full of wisdom, full of God's grace, full of God's power. And again, when he's testifying, he'll say, full of the Spirit, again. God wants you to see this is the kind of man that the unbelieving world will drag out, push him down, and pile rocks on top of him until he's suffocated and crushed. Like they did to goodness wrapped in flesh. God himself who is good and sinless. You pour God into a human body and the earth cries out, crucify him. And Jesus said, Here's the verdict. Light came into the world, but men hate light because their deeds are evil. And uh, the same thing's going on with Christ's followers. And so, yeah, usually you put to death the worst of the worst, not the best of the best. But Stephen is the best of the best. The word full there that keeps getting used with him, we've talked about it before. Stephen has made himself smaller, so God is bigger inside. So less of my rights, less of what I think, less of my opinions, less of my offenses, less of my goals and my dreams and what I want made room for more God which in turn showed him who he really is. He found himself. He didn't lose himself. And so, you know, when your barista fills your cup to the top so much so, like, oops, you know, and you take two steps and the one little jostle and it spills all over, all, and makes, yeah, you know what? He's so filled to the top with the Lord, one little jostle, and guess what? Goodness and grace and mercy just spills all over the place and makes a beautiful mess, <laughs> So God just wants you to know, here's how he argues, just so you know. He's full of grace, so he doesn't lose his temper because people who are grace-filled are not condescending, they're not rude, they're not easily offended, they're patient. They don't get irritated like that. Gracious people overlook insults, and you know they were insulting. They're about to kill him. They're mocking him. They're insulting him. They're, cond- they're very condescending. And what, what is he like? He's full of grace. Go ahead. Turn down their cheek. Go ahead. He stayed calm, cool, and collected, which makes their crime more unconscionable and their characters more reprehensible. You know what? No wonder they're frazzled. You know why? Proverbs 25, verse 15 says, A gentle tongue can break a bone. And if you listen... I think we can hear some ribs cracking because of his uh, love. When you love those who don't love you, the Bible says you're heaping burning coals on their head. What does that mean? It means you, you. there's a fiery burning conviction of guilt that comes upon somebody who is treating you badly and you're responding in love. They're like, oh man, what's going on here? And that's all for the purpose of redeeming them and seeing them saved. And so, yeah, he's filled with grace. He's warm, friendly, humble, and unassuming. He's a good listener. He's polite. That's what God wants us to know. But he doesn't stop there. He's filled with God's power. So obviously we think of the big-ticket items, which we've read about what's happening is uh, beautiful divine healings, and also uh, dramatic exorcisms. And these kinds of miracles, as we've talked, were uh, a more commonplace when the Lord was establishing the church. There is no church except one group of people on the earth. They've never heard the gospel before. And so the signs and wonders were given as a gift to them to say, listen, the message is true. Let me validate that with the evidence of the miraculous. And so, uh, but that said, God is still God and still working in miraculous ways. And so. God continues to do amazing things. You know, let me tell you about something even more amazing than uh, an ankle, (laughs) a lame person walking. More miraculous is is somebody who was condemned forever to come to eternal life. I'm walking to my car last night. The sun has set. I hear Pastor Ross, Pastor Ross, Pastor Ross. And somebody comes running up to me and says, I just want to meet you in person and talk to you because, oh man, a 20-year-old young man. (coughs) And uh, let's call him Carson because that's his name. (laughs) And he says, yeah, my name is Carson. I'm like, yeah, I'm Pastor Ross. And he goes, yeah, I know who you are. And, and he goes, but I haven't talked to you now. Just a, I grew up this way, and I went to this kind of church, and I didn't get it. And I was an atheist, and empty, and angry, and hard-hearted. And then someone invited me to the rock, and I got saved. <laughs> and he's so happy, and gave him another hug. And Oh, man, I'm telling you what. Moving on, that man, listen, that man was destined to perish, and then he met you guys. I didn't even know him. You guys invited him. You guys loved him. You guys nurtured it, and I just picked the fruit. It was super easy. That's why we're here. Power within. I, I do this thing. I preach sermons on like one sentence and, you know, pray for me. But here we go. Uh, he's filled with power within. I just want to say this. Yeah, there were miracles, but he, had, he was filled with God's power. So he didn't let his emotions run him. He was in charge. He was in charge of the tongue, which James chapter 3 says, no one can tame. No human being can tame the tongue. But if you're filled with the spirit of God, he can put a bit and bridle in that and pull back and pull it to the right, pull it to the left, or pull it to stop, right? And so he was able to control his temper because he wasn't driven by his passions. There's no veins in his neck. And so while the veins are popping in the neck's of the opponents who are losing their minds and their sanity, they look to him, and the Bible says he's just sitting there like an angel, shining in perfect repose and peace. Why? Because he's a man filled with grace, and he's a man filled with power. He also says that uh, no one could stand against his wisdom. He's got wisdom. And, and here's the takeaway for that. Sometimes people say things they... But what they mean is not a sum total of what they just said. Does that make sense? Sometimes you say (laughs) something, if you're married, You understand on both ends that people don't always mean what they say. So if you have wisdom, you, you'll step around the words and get to the heart because God will show you that's not what they mean, they mean this. And the reason they're saying this. So he had the ability to know what is tripping them up. Why did they say that? They could. He had the ability to feel the tone and get to the thing that was unraveling them so that they could have life. You know what I mean by that. He had wisdom. In other words, (laughs) he could say the hard truth in the least offensive way. He was never stumped, never distracted, never entangled, and never blindsided. Those poor guys debating him. (laughs) And it says the spirit was leading the way. The men were fighting against God. They were arguing against the spirit of God because there was so little of Stephen. Stephen was like, Lord, this is too big. I can't stand before the Sanhedrin. You, you answer this call. You do this. You know, you, you know the doorbell's ringing. Hey, we, we want to hear from you at the Sanhedrin. He's like, Lord, could you get that? You know, and the Lord got it. And so, uh, yeah. So it's win-win for Stephen. He knows that. If they kill me, guess what? I mean, the paradise paradise of God, as Jesus called it, where there are eternal pleasures at his right hand forevermore, where the Bible describes no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man the beautiful things God has prepared for those who love him. He knows, uh, you know, the the worst thing that could happen here is that they send me to paradise. (laughs) So... To live his Christ, to die is gain. And if he exits the Sanhedrin, exonerated, it's all good. And if he enters heaven after being executed, it's all good. He trusts that his life will bring honor to Christ whether he lives or he dies. So yeah, as we would say today, Stephen owned them. He owned them with wisdom. He left them unraveled and without recourse, and he did it all in the spirit of a gentleman. And that made them crazy. (laughs) Let's move on, 11 (laughs) through 15. Time for the smear campaign, right? Because if you can't win fair and square, then you got to play dirty. And I think we have ample evidence of that all around us today. So the smear campaign, they have to rile up the crowds, create a mob mentality, and um, they have to really, um, the opposition who has ideas that are inferior um, has to go to the populace to turn how they're feeling about the truth, people who have better ideas than they do. And so the debate is over. Round goes to Stephen, and here's now the, the evil conspiracy. So these wicked guys from the synagogue get this. What an irony here. They're the synagogue of freed hearts. <laughs> yeah, doesn't sound like freed hearts would resort to secrecy, lying, slander, and trying to frame an innocent man who's trying to save them. So they secretly persuade. Some thugs, you know, secretly, of course, because they're cowards. Evil people do their dirty work under the cloak of secrecy. I love Psalm 11 and verse 2. It says, for look, the wicked bend their bows and they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows, the upright in heart. And that's exactly what's happening here. They grab some despicable characters. They go down to the mall and they offer some thugs some free, you know, a few shekels. Hey, listen, man, we need your help. You want to make a few bucks? Let's uh, get rid of this Jesus freak, this heretic who's trying to destroy all things Jewish, you know? So here we go again. Uh, They pull some strings, and they get an appointment at the Sanhedrin where our Lord stood and was condemned to die where Peter and John stood and testified, where Peter, James, and John and the rest of the 12 stood and then was sentenced to have their skin flailed off of their backs. That's already happened on the X. And now our food pantry guy steps up and says, is told, take your place and answer these charges. And so, by the way, uh, false witnesses in the same place said the same things about Jesus. Same room. Jesus stood there and false witnesses stood up and accused him of speaking against Moses and the law and all things Jewish and the temple. Right? That's exactly what they did. And so kudos for Stephen because guess what? He's doing it. His teaching is spot on. Because they're accusing him of what they accused Jesus of. And if they're gonna have issues with you in your life, let it be because you're just like Jesus and not unnecessarily obnoxious or doing the wrong thing. Amen? Amen. Yeah, there's one thing about being obnoxious, but unnecessarily. So <laughs> let's try to avoid that. Amen? Okay. Yeah, so they start out with an insult. This fellow, you know what that means? This imbecile this knucklehead, this nobody. This guy, always preaching hate. He hates Moses, he hates God, he hates the temple, he hates our Jewish customs when it's not the truth at all. No, there's an element of truth in that. The gospel comes, Jesus said, guess what, guys, Judaism is fading away because Judaism had its day. It produced me. It prepared a people for Messiah, and now Messiah takes it from here. And if I were to describe Judaism, the sacrificial system, which you don't need anymore because I'm the sacrifice, I would describe it as a shirt that you've worn for 1,500 years. (laughs) It's old and tattered, and guess what? No, you can't sew up a a shirt that you've had for 1,500 years. You, You have to throw it away, and... God will give you and is giving you a brand new shirt. It's a suit, actually. It's called the robe of righteousness, you see. So in that regard, things are changing. And oh how difficult it would be to be a Jewish evangelist to Jewish people who has to say the gospel comes in and does change things. And so this is what It's a powder keg issue to, for a Jew to hear anything about Moses or the temple or all, uh, Jewish rituals and customs. It's just a powder keg. And every culture in every time has powder kegs. We have them, right? So let me see. <laughs> talking negatively about Jewish traditions then would be like talking negatively about homosexuality today. Now listen to how quiet it'll get. You feel the tension? Just let me add to it. L-G-B-Q-T, right? Now, as in their time and our time, one wrong word, and you get misconstrued and misquoted, emotions, nobody can hear anything. And it doesn't matter how many times you say, it's not the person, it's the behavior. We just disagree with the behavior. We love the person. The person is made in the image of God. We're more sinful. We're as sinful. We all have to turn from our sins. And that's just a sin. But we love the person. We invite the person over for Thanksgiving and bring your friends. But they don't hear it. They hear, no, you can't accept the behavior, so you hate us. No. Question to you guys. Do you know anybody that you disagree with, but you yet you love them? Yeah. No, you don't. You hate them. Well, you see what you're saying about us. But, but it's so sensitive, and it's been blown so out of proportion that there's no sanity. There's no sanity anymore. So you bring up the word. and uh, Most pastors are afraid to say it because you <laughs> you go crazy. Listen, come to Christ. He loves you the way you are. The Holy Spirit will come in and w- the, and make you born again. And the new you will be different from the old you. And yeah, you probably will still struggle. Just like we all still struggle with all of our besetting sins. But it's okay. Because Christ paid for our sins. All the asses that we limp in the right direction. <laughs> amen, with him. Now that I've diverted all of your attentions away because of my illustration, uh, let us see if we can understand what's going on here. Let's look at the charges, and then I'll explain how they turned the gospel into blasphemy in their minds. Insulting Moses. The gospel declares that Jesus was greater a greater deliverer than Moses. So they saw the exaltation of Jesus as a demotion of Moses. Even though Stephen will say in his speech, Moses told us that a prophet would come, speaking of Messiah and Jesus, that that somebody like him but better than him and we need to listen to him. Even Moses said somebody better is coming. And so when Stephen said, man, you want to talk about deliverer? Moses took us out of slavery in Egypt. But Jesus, the greater deliverer, takes us out of the slave pits of sin and death. And we cross through the Red Sea of condemnation. And we come up on the other side, not in promised land in Israel, but in the paradise of God and eternal life. So Moses is great, but Jesus is greater. Ah, you put Moses down. You see, twist, right? Uh, they said, you're going to change our costumes. What's up with that? Well, let me tell you what's up with that. In Jewish understanding, because of sin, there was a separation between the sinner and a holy God. And that was manifested in the veil of the temple that separated a holy God from a sinner. The only way that they were temporarily put right with God is if a death occurred on their behalf. So they would schlep in an animal like a lamb. And the lamb would be there and the priest is standing there and and the man had to put his hands on the head of the innocent animal and impute the sins onto the animal. And the animal, because the wages of sin is death, had to die for the behalf of the person. (laughs) Right there. Ugly. Blood. But now the worshiper was free temporarily because as the writer to Hebrews said, the blood of bulls and goats can't forgive human sin. So now God comes down, wraps himself up in human skin and lays himself down as the perfect sacrifice and is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You don't need to be schlepping any barnyard animals after that because by one, and I'm quoting by one sacrifice, he perfected forever those who are being made holy. So in one sense, you will never be more holy or more ready for heaven than you are the second you said, yes, Jesus. But then he says, and then you're being made holy. So it's the already, but not yet, as theologians call it. And so, yeah, so Stephen is saying, they're saying, hey, it's time for the evening sacrifice. You cut your lamb. And he goes, I got my lamb right here. And they said, you blasphemer. The law commands us to sacrifice. Yeah, 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 but it was a picture of Jesus. One more. Speaking against the temple. Love this. Jesus told the same hotheads that, who all but worshiped the temple, and they really did. And only they only had one part of the wall. Herod rebuilt the temple, but it went down, and they only had one bit of the wall. Right, But they worshiped it to this day. To this day. Let me show you pictures of the temple wall. To this day, whenever anything goes wrong in Israel, they all gather there at the wall, the wall, the wall. It's all about the wall. The next picture. They put prayers in the cracks of the wall, their nearest and dearest thing. They touch the wall. They dominate before the wall. This is a big deal. And Stephen would say, don't put your prayers in the wall. Put your prayers in the ear of your Messiah who's living and intercedes for you before the throne of God. It's not about this rock. It's about the rock of our salvation, you see. And so they saw the exaltation of Jesus who replaces the temple. Jesus tells the Samaritan woman, what? She wants to divert the conversation away from her sin to religion. So she says, look here, Jesus. She says, you God, you Jews, you say the only acceptable place of worship is the Jerusalem temple. And we, we've got our own temple here in Samaria that you Jews say uh, God doesn't hear you. And he says, woman, listen to me. A time is coming when it doesn't matter where you are or what building you're in that the true worshipers of God will worship according to spirit and in truth because Jesus is greater than the temple. You see, that's what he told them. They're all like swearing oaths on the temple. That's how, that's how they thought of the temple like God. I swear, it not in the name of God, I swear in the name of the temple that this so-and-so is true. And Jesus said, stop doing that. And by the way, someone and something greater than the temple is standing in your midst, and you're not getting it. It's not about the building. Solomon built it; it was glorious and all. So they said he's talking smack about the building. Kill him, right? So that's what's going on there. So how how does he deal with the capital charge of uh, blasphemy? He's shining. Uh, and and one commentator said oh you know that God wanted to tie their minds they're talking Moses, Moses, Moses and then he's sitting there and Moses had a shine when he came down the mount from spending time with God he had a shine and so now (laughs) they're like you're against Moses you're against Moses, you're against Moses and then they look at him and they're like oh you're like Moses (laughs) you know I feel sorry for them Their faces hate and fury and jealousy. Stephen's face, no hate, no horror, only heaven. Uh, Verses uh, spilling over into seven, the the high priest says, okay, are you going to answer these charges? Are they true? And then he uh, gives out this beautiful, um, thank you, uh, gives out this beautiful sermon. God's been good to us for 2,000 years. He starts with Abraham. He goes, let's go back to the first Jew. Abraham's the first Hebrew. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob from Jacob's seventy people. and then boom, you got Israel. God made us a people for himself. He's going to preach. How blessed are we? Does he treat any other nation like us? Look at us. And so far, so good. They're all like, "Yeah, oh, well, maybe this guy isn't bad after all. And he keeps going on and on and on. He busted us out of Egypt. And what did we do? The first chance we got, even before the, the tablets were dry from God's ink of the Ten Commandments, we had a drunken party and, and made two golden fertility gods of sex. And got drunk and carousing around two golden bulls, and said, "Hero Israel, these are the gods who got you out of that big mess. Let's worship them." And he goes on. So their faces start to change right about then. And he says over and over again, and he goes through the, the whole history of the Old Testament, "God good, God saves you, you rebel." God's good. God saves you. He shows you grace and mercy, and you reject him and do your own thing. It goes on and on and on until the end. And so, yeah. Uh, then he says, and here's how he closes up, and he goes, you guys are so stiff-necked. God uses stiff-necked 20 times to describe Israel. Stiff-necked means I can't get you to turn. You're just like intent on destroying yourself. What's wrong with you? You're stiff-necked. People, stubborn. And so he, he lets them know, hey, you're stiff-necked. And you are the sons of the fathers. Your fathers put to death people like Isaiah. Your father sawed Isaiah in two with a saw. That's how Isaiah died. And you are their children because you're going to do it. You did the same to the Lord, our Messiah. You killed and crucified Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. And when they heard that, they went ballistic for sure. Two descriptions, furious and gnashing of teeth. The only other place you hear gnashing of teeth is the sound in hell. So the background music, forever in hell, is weeping and gnashing of teeth. No thank you. No sin, no pleasure, no thrill, no stubbornness on my part is worth that. That is the reason I got saved. I do, want, do not want that in my future. Amen. Amen? So the volcano erupts, and Stephen is not full of fear. He's full of faith, says verse 55 there, and the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is able to give him A vision of the eternal reaction in heaven, not the temporary response on earth. So, uh, yeah, he's drawn upward. He's able to see, oh, that's eternal. This is temporary. And the Lord of heaven's armies gives Stephen a standing ovation as he's about to be martyred. Stephen has not been a Christian for a year, he's a baby Christian. He's a guy sweet. The older women need a hand. I got a heart for that. What a hero. And he gets a vision. God gives him a vision. One writer said, as God stands to cheer the first martyr of the Christian church, be it known to us all, he stands for everyone, all his children, who take a stand for him and suffer for doing so. So the Lord distracts him from the misery, the anxiousness, the fear. But I say, look up here. Look at me. Look at me right now. Don't look here. Look at me. And he lights up and he goes, oh, man, behold, I see. I see the Lord. And he's got the power of God. I see his face. And he's like, what was he doing? Was he clapping? Probably. Was he going... All this is yours. Was he going like this? Come on up here. This is for you. Wow. Yeah, it's moving, you know. And so Stephen's heart is filled with wonder and awe, and the Sanhedrin's filled with hate and anger. And like big babies. A bunch of grown babies. They cover their ears. Uh, these are grown men. Some of them are they have doctorates. Ah! Listen, I just want to tell them, if I had one shot at them, I would say, this isn't going to help you because God's arrows, they pierce through the soul, sir. You can't stop it here. You can't stop it there. So <laughs> uh, It's sharp and penetrating, and they show it. They don't want to hear another word. And so they drag them outside the gates where, they, where Jesus carried his cross outside the gates. There's a quarry nearby because the the build the temple always needs repair with stone. So how they would kill you is not how you picture. Everybody pictures the stones and they will initially they throw the stones, but when the person is down, then no more throwing stones. They take the big heavy ones and place them on their chest and pile it higher and higher and higher. To a man with a beautiful, sweet spirit, loves truth, loves goodness, loves God, and loves them. So much so, as you squeeze the life out of him, he manages to say, forgive them, don't hold this against them, as he's fighting for air. And you know who hears that? Saul hears that. He saw the glow on his face. He heard the masterful use of Aramaic to preach. He's impressed. And the Bible does not show us how Saul becomes Paul, arguably the the greatest Christian that ever lived. He will write, God will use him to write 13 New Testament books. He will plant 20 churches. He will single-handedly, with a few other mentees, he's the mentor, he will fully evangelize the Roman Empire in 30 years. This one man who's going, kill him! Now, nobody who saw Saul said, now there's a guy who's going to get saved. <laughs> <You know? laughs> nobody. Fifteen minutes before. So nobody, and the commentators were saying how impactful Stephen's life has been to bring him to faith. Because... We don't know how he came to faith. Everybody just thinks God forced him to become a Christian. No, God doesn't force anybody to become a Christian. We don't see his response. We don't see him crying out, coming to the end of his rope. We don't see anything. Paul is going to come to Christ. He's ready to kill Christians. And God says, excuse me and strikes him down and says, and, and Paul, Paul, Saul looks up and says, who are you? And he goes, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Get up and knock it off. So we don't see any, well, why did? how did he get saved? It doesn't say, oh, commentators say, this is what got him. He's not throwing the rocks. He's standing safeguarding their stuff because they take their jackets off because it's a lot of work. You work up a sweat killing God's heroes. So hey, Saul, watch your stuff. And Paul goes, yeah, okay. And Paul sees him. Breathing his last, shining in love. Don't hold it against of God. <sharp inhale> Boom. And when the Lord gets a hold of him in one more chapter, he's going to say, Saul, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goats? What does that mean? It means he became a Christian. And God was prodding him with the goad. And he's kicking against it. And he says, why don't we stop doing that? Because you're only going to hurt yourself, and I'm going to win anyway. So, you know, get up, go into Damascus, not to kill them, but to encourage them, and I'll tell you what to do when you get there. And he does. But why? Oh, he didn't waste one drop of blood of Stephen. Stephen's blood is the seed of the church. And just let me close with this little thing. When Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, It's the word for martyr, martyreo. He says, you're going to be my martyrs. And this is why we get the word martyr from martyrios, which means witness, because with witnessing comes hostility enough to where you might have to lay down your life for him. As it is, we do lay down our lives, our reputations, our jobs, mocking and all this insult and yeah, all of that. But his his blood was not wasted. It was applied to the life of the would-be Paul the Apostle. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your goodness. And we ask for you to seal the work. All along, we were just listening and learning and growing. We pray that all would... Come together to make us more bold, more confident, more sure of your love, more at rest in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.